So why do you wear the clothes that you wear? Maybe if you worked as a nurse, you wore scrubs during the day because you need people to identify you in the hallway at the hospital and scrubs are easy to clean, right? Or maybe you do some type of handiwork for your occupation, so it's nice to have overalls, so there's pockets for all of your tools and things. Maybe when you get home for the day, you change into your pajamas, or maybe you change into workout clothes. Or perhaps if you wear a suit for work, you change into your overalls after work to putz around the house. The clothes that we wear say something about our identity. And in ancient times, around the book of Ephesians, if you joined a new cult or a new religion, one of the symbols of joining that new religion would be to change your clothes that you wore. Think about it in the Old Testament. When God set apart his people to be holy, part of their standards were instructions for clothing, like not mixing certain fibers. And in his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul talks about believers putting off the old nature. It's the same word for changing their clothes and putting on a new nature. But before he gets into what that new nature is, he describes the old in detail. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible, if you're not there already, to Ephesians 4. And I'll read here one verse at 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. Paul identifies that how Gentiles and while everyone lives is that they're thinking. It's important, right? How does your mind influence your life? A ton, right? And Paul describes their thinking here as futile, as empty. Have you ever interacted with someone who seems delusional? Maybe a small child who just doesn't correctly grasp cause and effect, right? Kids are great observers, but really poor interpreters sometimes. Or maybe you have someone in your life with memory issues. My maternal grandmother wrestled with dementia and My folks took her in for about a year, and by that point, she didn't even know who her own daughter was. For a while, she was convinced that my parents' house was a hotel, and she would yell out and complain about the bad service. Where's my coffee? I asked for that ten minutes ago. It was quite humorous. There was another time when I visited her. She just kept staring at me and acting really shy, and I tried to talk to her, and she would get really bashful, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I finally reached out my hand to shake her hand, and she informed me that I was a celebrity that she had seen on TV and that she had a poster of me in her bedroom. It turns out that was my senior picture that she still had on her nightstand. Another time when I was there for Christmas, I was hanging out with her, and I think we were watching Hallmark on TV, and I looked up, and she was gone. I didn't know where she went. So I got up and quickly discovered that the front door was wide open. I was terrified. She had run out the front door in slippers and a robe with snow on the ground. I ran outside. She was only about 50 feet from the door. And I quickly tried to get her to come inside. 
Grandma, it's cold. Why are you out here? I have to get away from this hotel. So I knew I wasn't going to convince her that it was cold. So I took a deep breath and said, are you hungry? Let's get some bacon and eggs. Let's get some food in you. And I was able to quickly get her back inside. Due to her disease, her, empty, or her thoughts were empty and futile. And this is what sin does to us. Sin makes our minds empty and delusional. And um, he, Paul talks about a similar thing in Romans 1, 21, if you want to flip there. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul talks about the same thing here in Ephesians 4, verse 18. He says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Right? Paul describes sin as something that it darkens our minds. It separates us from God. Right? Sin desensitizes us. Another word for this is it makes us callous. When I was a child, I loved to run outside barefoot. I strongly disliked shoes and socks. You might notice I wear flip-flops even when it's 40 degrees outside because that's the closest thing to still being barefoot. And because of this, I build up calluses on my feet. However, living in the Midwest, I have to stay inside during the winter. And as a kid... I would lose some of those calluses on my feet when I had to wear shoes and socks. But at my parents' house, to get from the front door to the backyard, when I walked in between our house and the neighbor's house, there was this giant, beautiful pine tree. But as you know, pine trees drop their needles and leave a prickly path in its midst. And every spring, the first time I tried to go into the backyard, my feet would burn from the pricks of those needles on the ground. But the more I kept walking back and forth from the backyard, the less and less I would notice those prickly pine needles. And that's because I had built up these calluses on my feet. And we do the same thing with sin. We get callously desensitized to it the more we walk in it. And Paul describes this here in this passage of with, with sin darkening our minds and how it separates us from God, right? It hardens us and it makes us callous. And Paul goes on to further describe the consequences of sin in verse 19. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Or some translations say, and they are full of greed. Right? Paul describes these unbelievers as having fully surrendered to sin. Notice the absolutes he uses. He says, to every impurity and full of greed. Right? In our sin, we choose not to see God. And all of us are in this condition until we are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must guard ourselves against self-deception because we are no better than the unbeliever with our, ign- or with our voluntary ignorance of sin, right? And the lies of sin are so easy to believe, aren't they? Sin can just become this vicious cycle. And one mentor gave me this phrase that stuck with me for years, and he said, 
Sin promises high, but delivers low. Sin promises high, but delivers low with the lies that it would have us believe. Right? So for an example, maybe being greedy with your money is a temptation for you, or compulsive shopping, and you make unnecessary purchases, right? And in the moment, sin tells us that that extra item that we buy is going to make us happy or complete. Sin tells us that buying incessant gifts for our family will heal broken rifts and make people love us. But that's not the truth. Sin promises these things, but doesn't deliver. What promises does sin make to you? We have to find the truth to overcome these temptations, right? Because, for instance, unwanted gifts will burden the people we love with items that turn into clutter and it just ends up wasting our money. And for me, the sin of gluttony is one that I struggle with. I just, I love food. And the sin of gluttony promises me that that cupcake is going to make me feel better when I'm really stressed out. Or when I'm lonely, the leftover dinner that I meant to save for lunch tomorrow tells me that I can forget about my fractured friendship. Or the candy dish tells me that I can numb out instead of dealing with my emotions, like grief or sorrow. But when I give in to sin, I realize that the promises of sin are empty. And I'm learning to recognize the lie that sin is trying to get me to do before I give in. Because when I eat that extra cupcake, I feel bloated and it actually stresses me out more. And when I overeat my leftovers, I feel sick to my stomach from eating too much. And it doesn't fix the friendship that I was stressed out about. And when I raid the candy dish, I get a headache from the sugar rush. Right? And buying that family member that gift isn't going to bribe them to forgive me for that elephant in the room. It just means I have less money for the things that I need or to give away to others who have greater needs than I do. Sin promises high, but delivers low. And as Christians, we have to be so aware of the deceptions of the evil one. But we overcome sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is our teacher and our example as we walk in this life. In verse 20, after describing the bad effects of sin, Paul says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Another way to translate it is that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. He goes on in verse 21 to say, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Right, The way of Jesus is that the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to be made new. And Jesus came to earth, he lived the perfect life, and he died for our sins, and he was raised from the dead, overcoming sin and death, and we wait for his return to make all things new. And as we wait, we make disciples, and we reach out, and we mentor the younger generation, and we reach out into our community. And we put off the selfish desires that would have us to be inwardly focused. Because if we keep on going down a greedy path or a gluttony path, we don't have the bandwidth to be outward focused. right? We have to put off that greed. We put off impurity. We put off gluttony. And we pursue the way of Christ. We pursue the Holy Spirit as he renews our hearts and minds. Right? And in addition to recognizing the lie, 
right? We ask the Holy Spirit to help us overcome the temptations that we face. I don't just try and suck it up and overcome sin of my own power. It never works. Trying to just tell myself, don't eat that cupcake, don't eat that cupcake, isn't going to help me, right? God wants to help us in the midst of our temptation. In verse 22, Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Right? Jesus taught us how to throw off our old sinful ways. We take off the bad, and we acknowledge how corrupted it is. So when I'm being tempted to eat more than I should, I throw away that temptation like throwing off dirty clothes into the laundry bin. And I throw away the thought that it'll make me feel better because our thoughts are so important. Right? In verse 23, he says, we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Paul says a similar thing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. Right? Our thought life is so important. Like our inner conversations, they matter. Because when we nurse that grudge or pick arguments in our head, we're putting on the old clothes of the sinful nature. We have to acknowledge those thoughts as sin and cast them off. But sometimes it's just not enough to stop doing something. For instance, when I'm tempted to overeat, right, I can't just sit there and tell myself, don't eat the candy, don't eat the candy, because I'm still just obsessing about the candy. I have to replace it with something. So sometimes I'll draw a bath, or I'll drink herbal tea, or I'll replace it by chewing some gum. But in addition to just methods of self-help like that, we have to renew our minds to be made in the attitude of Christ, right? When that temptation feels like it's more than you can bear, pick up your Bible, right? Read scripture. Find a book that deals with the area of temptation. If you're dealing with bitterness and forgiveness, ask Pastor Andrew about a book recommendation, right? Because when we immerse ourselves in scripture and when we read about what other experts say about that, it primes the pump that transforms us to be more like Jesus, the new way. It changes the grooves in our mind, and it gives the Holy Spirit a space to work in our lives. In verse 24, Paul goes on to say, Put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. We have to put on the new self. right? When we were regenerated at our salvation, we were made righteous because of what Christ did for us. We don't make ourselves righteous. We don't earn salvation. Notice the word is created. We don't create. God did this, right? God does this to us. The Holy Spirit who came into us at salvation purifies us of sin, and this has to be done for us. And if you are a believer, it already has been. But in this life on earth, we live in the already, but not yet. There's this tension because we're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, yet We still live in this sinful world with a sinful nature that darkens our understanding and that makes us callous to sin. It's difficult. But similarly, in Colossians 3, 9 through 10, Paul says, Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Right? God renews us. We don't have to do this on our own power. We can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit 
to overcome the sins that just so easily entangle us. So friends, what sin are you callous to? Is it lust? Is it gossip? Is it gluttony? And how do you break these chains of sin? It's by acknowledging the lie that sin is trying to tell you and by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome it. That's how we take off the old clothes of the sinful nature and how we put on the new clothes. Right? And in this passage, Paul is calling us to be what we already are in Christ, made new. And we are to live up to that calling. So when you're hanging out with family or friends and you're tempted to share that juicy bit of gossip, ask yourself in the moment, what's the lie behind this? Why do I want to speak this about that person? Is it because I want to be well-liked? Is it because I want to feel better about myself? Is it because I'm grasping for some type of social control? And preach to yourself in the truth that moment. Tell yourself that it dishonors the person whether or not it's true and it violates their privacy. And in the moment, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to keep your mouth closed. And it's hard. And you will fail. But when that happens, ask the Holy Spirit for forgiveness. Right? And then talk to a trusted friend or mentor about that. Find a book that teaches about that particular topic, right? Memorize scripture that deals with it. So what figurative clothes do you need to, by the Spirit's power, take off? Forgiveness? Bitterness? Complaining? I want to challenge you to take off the vest of complaining and put on the vest of gratitude. Take off the shoes and socks of gluttony and put on the shoes and socks of healthy choices and moderation. Friends, take off the trousers of harboring bitterness and put on the trousers of forgiveness because Christ forgave you. Because if we don't take off these things and grow in our sanctification, we stunt our ability to be the unified church together. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's hard to take off the old clothes of habits that are well-grooved into our brains, right? But when we follow, the, when we follow Jesus and we obey him by the power of the Holy Spirit, We'll find blessings in Christ, and we'll realize that we're growing, and we'll see God glorified in us and through us as a community. So what clothes of sin do you need to take off? Some believe that in the early church, in baptisms, people would change their clothes right before they were baptized to represent how they were soiled before and then made new. So what will you choose to take off this week? Not by trying to suck it up and do it on your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be a made new and unified community 
that's outwardly focused and that reaches people to the glory of God. Pray with me.